Good. Thank you, Carol. What a marathon, but um, got lots of fun stuff going on. I'm excited. Got lots of fun stuff going on that is celebratory. We've got lots of fun stuff going on that is, that is a time to hang out and to get to know each other and to enjoy and celebrate. We've also got lots of fun stuff going on that is about getting closer to Jesus and pressing in to a closer relationship with him. And, and that seems like a pretty good couple of types of thing for a church to be doing. So I'm, I'm having a lovely time. Why don't we have a sermon? In last week's passage, we saw Paul and Barnabas preach a belter of a sermon. If you have a Bible with you, would you turn to Acts chapter 13 with me? And we'll remind ourselves of Paul and Barnabas' message from verse 32 of chapter 13 onwards. Whilst you're going to that in your Bible or Bible device, just a line or two of recap. Paul and Barnabas have traveled to Pisidian Antioch, which uh, I have a little map of, if we can click on. There you go. So right, the, the bottom right bit with the, the red box, that's a bit of modern-day southwest Turkey, and there it is above in a, in a zoom-in bit. And they landed at Perga, and they traveled north, and if we click on one, brilliant, zooming out a bit, in the top right corner, you can see Antioch in Pisidia. So they've traveled to there to tell people about Jesus. They turn up at the synagogue, and they're invited to share a word of encouragement with their fellow Jews. And they do. They share the greatest possible word of encouragement to the Jewish people there. The promised saviour has come. In verses 32 and 33, they say this. We bring you the good news that what God has promised to the fathers, he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. God promised that he would send a saviour. Jesus is God fulfilling that promise. Skipping on to verses 38 and 39, they say, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, that's Jesus, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. This is good news. And so it's unsurprising that the passage finishes with, in verse 42, the people begging that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And so after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So that's where we're coming from. Um, I'm going to invite my friend Kate to come up and join me to read for us this morning's passage which is the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 44, to chapter 14, oh, thank you, mate, good idea, get a microphone, to chapter 14, verse 7. So 1344 to 14, verse 7, the words will appear on the screen, and I encourage you to read along in your own Bible or Bible device. Thanks, friend. That's even better. Great. Hello? Okay, wonderful. Um, okay, so, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, um, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. 
and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Um, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in a way <laughs> that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, <laughs> and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Thank you, mate. Thank you. You can put it that way. Thank you very much indeed. We like to throw in a tricky word or two for the people we asked to read. This morning, I want to talk to you about evangelism. For those of us who prefer normal words rather than church jargon, evangelism comes from the Greek word that we translate as gospel, and it means good news, that word. Gospel is the name that we give to the story of Jesus' life. It's also the name that we give to the books of the Bible that are the records of what Jesus said and did. Those are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We also use the word gospel for when a person is telling someone else about Jesus. If you share the gospel, you're telling the story of what Jesus has done, and you're giving someone the good news that God wants a relationship with them today. There are a few different versions that people, people, people say different um, variations of the gospel. Every time someone tells a story, it'll be slightly different. But you know, Jesus has a really punchy version. I really like his. He announced, and I've got it on a slide here, he announced, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Dead short. Or perhaps to translate that, turn to God. He's so close, you could reach out and touch him. It is good news. I know I desperately needed to hear it. And I think it's a wonder that God is so keen to partner with us, his children, that he entrusts the job of telling people about him to us. We are often rubbish at it. And wouldn't people be more convinced by a big booming voice in the sky and a glittering finger appearing out of the clouds? There used to be this really cheesy advert for the National Lottery that always springs to mind for me when people say, why doesn't God just speak out of the sky or something? And we have a short clip of it. This week, the Wednesday jackpot is a guaranteed £10 million. It's you. Right. Anyone remember that from the first time around? Yeah, a couple of nods, yeah. 1997, folks. Students, don't give me any of this, I wasn't born yet, chat. I'm not having that. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, the big, sky-pointy, booming voice thing, 
the idea is out there. I suspect the Lord has thought of it. And he's decided not to go with it. God, in his wisdom, wants to do it this way. Where we, bumbling humans, we cracked and broken containers, get to carry the news that changes the world for anyone who accepts it. Paul and Barnabas risked their lives over and over to get this message, this invitation, this gospel out there to as many people as possible. In fact, in today's passage, we see a pattern that plays out pretty much the same for the rest of Paul's ministry until he's eventually arrested. Spoiler alert. Paul arrives in a town, shares the good news about Jesus to God's people, the Jews, meets a mixture of enthusiastic acceptance and violent rejection, then Paul goes to share the news with the Gentiles. Again, gets a mixed response, and eventually, usually, people try and kill him. So, Paul moves on to the next town and tells them about Jesus. Paul gave his life to giving people a chance to meet Jesus. Let's zoom in on a verse or two, and I'll make just a few observations as we travel through the passage. Starting at verse 44. Verses 44 and 45 show us a lovely snapshot of this mixed response of the message that the gospel receives. Almost the whole city wanted to hear it. Paul and Barnabas announced God's invitation to a sin-free, restored relationship through Jesus, and there's an excited response. In the week since their first appearance, the news has spread throughout the town like wildfire. People want to hear more. Just taking that out of the, the history books and taking it into a modern day, taking it to an idea of your friends and family, the people around you, would we be surprised by that excited response? Can I challenge you that the people in your life who don't know Jesus might be interested, they might be keen for, they might even be excited about the chance to hit reset on their lives and meet God? And you won't know until you offer them the chance to meet him. Verse 45 we see the other sort of reaction. The Jews, who were those in town who had the status of being God's people. They were the leaders of the religion locally. They didn't like this talk of God doing something new. And crucially, in verse 45, we're told that these ones were jealous. Jealous. Imagine being so focused on your own sense of power or popularity that you find yourself attacking what God is doing. Imagine being a church leader so self-absorbed that they find themselves opposing God at work because they're jealous. I wish it were harder to imagine, actually. And here it is in Scripture, God's people opposing God out of petty jealousy. So another challenge for you this morning, and they'll come thick and fast, I'm afraid. If God swept in with a new move that changed things for you, how open to him would you be? Or how likely would you be to find yourself pushing back because the way things are is comfortable? I wrote this a couple of days ago, not knowing that God was going to say the same thing through three or four people this morning, so looks like he's got something in mind for us. Lord Jesus, would you grant us openness to what you're doing in and through us, even if it's uncomfortable? 
Paul and Barnabas are bold in their response. This is verse 46. And I want to come back to that boldness later on and and dig around it a bit more. But for now, let me observe a simple fact. They were able to speak boldly, confidently, in the face of opposition and criticism because they knew their mission clearly and they knew God clearly. There's a lovely passage where Paul talks about his boldness in telling people about Jesus in his second letter to the Corinthians from chapter 2, verse 14, to chapter 4, verse 15. There you are, note takers. We don't have time for it this morning, but I really recommend you go and chew over the reason for Paul's boldness another time. Those of you who like to study and dig into things, that's especially for you. The rest of you feel guilty. No, I'm kidding. Don't. It's okay. (laughs) But if you're taking notes right now, you get to feel really smug. Paul and Barnabas knew God well. They knew their mission well. And they respond to those attacking them in verses 46 and 47, saying, guys, you, God's people, got first dibs on the news that God has kept his promise, that he'd send a savior through his people. But if you're not interested, we're taking this on to phase two. This savior is for everyone. And there's a wonderful line that Paul quotes in verse 47. He says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul is quoting from Isaiah 49 verse 6, which I got really excited about this week. The Lord says, it is too light a thing. This is, this is the Lord speaking to his son, who 700 years before, people hadn't worked out yet. But this is, this is him talking to Jesus that God gave Isaiah a sneak preview of. The Lord says, is it, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. You're not just going to restore my chosen people. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is God saying to his people Israel that the Savior Messiah he's sending to them will come to restore his people, but that that's not enough on its own. The Savior will be for everyone. This is such an exciting verse. It's also the one that the prophet Simeon references in Luke chapter 2, which uh, is when Mary and Joseph are taking the baby Jesus to the temple to be presented before the Lord, and I wish we had time to look at it, but we don't. This verse, this promise, is explosive news for the not-Jewish people who had come to realize that the Jews' God was real. This is explosive news for us, that God is throwing open the doors to the whole wide world to be able to meet him. Something he promised 700 years before Jesus was born. And when Paul and Barnabas brought to the people in Pisidian Antioch the news that this had been completed, that that promise had been honored and in a powerful way, well, that changes everything. So no wonder, in today's passage, in verse 48, When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And verse 49, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Like I say, this is good news. And these guys get it. If you'll forgive me this morning, I'm going to resist the temptation to open up a talk about what it means to be appointed to eternal life. Because that is a talk, or several talks in itself, But for this morning, let me offer an encouragement on that verse. That if someone you talk to about Jesus isn't interested in the offer, the moment may not have been their appointment with God. Let that take the pressure off you a little. 
and try again next week. In Pisidian Antioch, the Gentiles were delighted. Those who had no sense of entitlement, those who'd been left out of the previous system, were ecstatic to hear that God could be for them and that God's people were now for them. So the Gentiles' delighted reaction, well, it's justified, it's brilliant. And you know, it reminded me of the parable that Jesus told about a wedding banquet where he says, I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation because I quite like how it carries the gist. He says, this is in uh, Luke 14, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, ah, I've, I've just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. And another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen, and I want to try them out, so please excuse me. You know, you know when God invites you to dinner, and you're like, no, nah, I'm going to check out my cows. <laughs> Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges. Urge anyone you can find to come so that the house will be full. And none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. God offers a party. He offers a presence with him. He offers the chance for him to move in, delight, celebrate. He wants to throw a feast for you. How many of us get distracted by stuff or even relationships that can pull us away from the one we were made for? God asked his known people, his invited guests first. But when those who should have been eager to spend time with him were not interested, God turned to the poor, the sick, the people that society can be so quick to overlook or forget. And Jesus makes this point. He would much rather have those who we might overlook. He would much rather go to those who we might not find it easy to go to than have people who call ourselves his but are not interested in him. Friends, who do you walk past? Who do we overlook? Who do you avoid making eye contact with? How grateful, how glad would they be to be brought into a family where we experience the love of God and where we treat each other with the love that God gives to us. And we even have donuts. <laughs> but let this be my sternest warning of the morning. Jesus is very clear that he wants you to take his invitation to exactly those people. And he has some very stern words for us indeed, for us who call ourselves his, but don't go through the mission of lovingly inviting those exact people. I want to tag out of the passage here just for a bit, because I want to talk specifically about that invitation, about evangelism. And I have a confession for you this morning. I don't think, as a church, that we're good enough at evangelism. 
I love it when people meet Jesus. I love it when we see people have a new relationship. We're not good enough at it. We're not good enough at having the heart to go and do it. So I'm going to commit to it. I'd love it if you think about doing so too. And I know that there are some people here who are excellent at introducing people to Jesus. And I am proud to know you. I am cheerleading you on. You do us proud. But there are some of us who have maybe found ourselves sitting back a bit, have found ourselves in a life rhythm that doesn't include inviting people into God's family. We are a church who are blessed to worship God with wonderful music, and we so often meet him in that worship. We're a church where we make sure that we make space for God to lead us in our services and our meetings. And thank you, Lord Jesus, he does. We ask that he would come by his Holy Spirit to meet us and to bring us the joy, the peace, the healing that we need. And because he loves us, he so, so kindly does. But God wants more than for his kingdom to come in just this room or in our home groups. Do we want his kingdom to come here? Of course we do. Do we want to meet God and spend time with him, delighting in his presence? Of course we do. But do we recognize that whilst God does want to meet each of us and give us the delightful experience that comes with that, that's not the only reason, perhaps not even the main reason, that he gives his Holy Spirit? I think, as usual, C.S. Lewis has a very helpful picture for this. There's a bit in the Narnia book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where the children meet Father Christmas. Spoilers, sorry. And he gives each of them a gift. It's awful, isn't it? Tesco is selling mince pies, and I'm talking about Narnia. September still. Peter, Adam's son, said Father Christmas, these are your presents, and they are tools, not toys. The time to use them is perhaps near at hand. Bear them well. With these words, he handed to Peter a shield and a sword. I won't say ho, ho, ho. I love it when I have a physical experience of the presence of God, when I can feel his presence with the peace and the joy and the power of God in and through me. It happens a lot. I love it. I'm so grateful. And I think that he's delighted that I love being near him. This is good. It's good. But he wants more than for me to just enjoy his presence. He wants more than just us, even though he loves us more than we could possibly grasp. Like a father that's delighted that some of his children have come to sit with him, he's delighted. He dotes on us. But he has the pang of sadness that there are some children missing from the party. And he equips us. He tools us up and sends us out to go to get the other children too. Me being able to experience God's presence, me being filled with God's Holy Spirit is fun. I love it. But these are tools, not toys. If I only want God's kingdom to come in here or in here, and if I don't also want his kingdom to come in the hearts of those who haven't met him yet or on the streets of East Fife, well then, if you were the father, how would you feel about that? Might you even, maybe, 
hold back some of the tools if they were only being used as toys. So, Kingdom Vineyard, dear friends, do we really want God to show up? Do we mean our prayer that he would come Holy Spirit? Do we accept his conditions that he would absolutely love to meet us and pour out his love into us, but that he would also passionately send us out to carry his love and his presence and his offer of a relationship to those who haven't found him yet? So in that moment where your friend or your colleague or your classmate asks what you got up to at the weekend, you could brush over your Sunday morning plans to avoid the possible awkwardness of telling them about Jesus and feeling like it's your duty to recruit people. Or you could see them as a precious, loved child of the father that they've not met yet who wants to lavish his love onto them, pour out his presence into them and have them join the family that they were designed for. What if? What would our lives look like if we really believed that it was a kindness to people in our lives to introduce them to Jesus? What if we really believed that when we offered to pray with people, he would show up and show himself to them? I know this is a challenge this morning, and if you're feeling a squirm, then... I'm sort of sorry, but also this is more important than that. If we're meaning it, if we're not just a club, then maybe we need a prod here. And I think there's a fundamental problem with approaching evangelism in a way that looks like a cycle of invitations to some club or like a cult-like recruitment out of religious duty. If it's that sort of thing we're about, then the religion that people are being invited to is just empty. People need to be introduced to Jesus, not educated about him. The French have two different words for knowing, and I find this really helpful. They say to know a person and to know a fact differently. So I can connaître a person, and I can savoir the fact that St. Andrews is in Fife. All the French scholars are looking at me like, your pronunciation's awful, Jim. Oui, je peux connaître. Non, non, je peux connaître. Je ne sais pas. Bon. Even more trickily, I can connaître a person. I could connaître Toby, my mate, or I can savoir the fact that Toby and Carol founded this church that I love so much. It's important. It is important to know about Jesus. It's important that people know about the amazing historical facts that God broke into this world as a baby, lived amongst the poor, showed humanity what God was like, died an unjust death that miraculously takes away our own sins, and that he was raised to life in a way that offers us new life too. And it's important that we know the propositional gospel that, if we've got the four points picture, God made us and he loves us, we've turned away from him, Jesus came to die in our place to bring us back, to offer us new life, and that we have to respond to this offer and accept it. It's important that people know this. It's a good message. People need to know it. But even more important than people needing to know facts, people need to meet Jesus. Can I invite you, friends, to be introducers more than educators? 
Yes, it helps when I'm getting to know Toby that I get to know some facts about him, places he's lived, whether he has a family, what his favorite food is, those sorts of things. But things that I can learn from his Facebook profile will only get me part of the way. They'll only ever help me get so far toward knowing him himself. I want to know about God. I happen to really enjoy talking about and reading theology. But more than that, I want to know God personally. I want to know what it is to sit with him, to feel his presence. If you're curious, it's this insistence on a real, personal, intimate relationship with God that means that we tend to sing songs that are to Jesus in this church more than we sing songs about him. And I think that a relationship with Jesus is more appealing than a degree in theology. And I think that knowing Jesus is more appealing than knowing about him. This also means, if this is true, that Jesus isn't just for the educated. So the person who never got on at school, who struggles with reading or writing, who can't remember facts or theories easily, that doesn't matter. They can know Jesus just as closely as the professors whose books I love to read. If God is real, if he's a person, not just a, an idea or a way of looking at the world, then evangelism's a wonderful thing. It's introducing people into a relationship. Back a bit in the book of Acts in chapter 4, the religious leaders were baffled that Peter and John, who've been with Jesus, have such a boldness to speak about God. They don't even have the proper qualifications. We can skip on. Now, when the religious leaders, thank you, uh, verse 13, hang on a second, where are we? Yeah, now when the, they saw, that's when the religious leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And back to today's passage, Paul and Barnabas, they spoke with boldness because, I'm sure of it, they knew who they were talking about. They hadn't just learned a really cool fact that they were telling the other kids in the playground, nor had they learned some secret knowledge that they could show off to their fellow synagogue goers, but they had profound, life-changing relationships with the God who they were seeking to introduce people to. In chapter 14, verse 3, we read that they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. That boldness that Paul and Barnabas spoke with wasn't based in a good education. It was based in an active relationship with the God who backs up their message with miracles. It's the same heavenly power rubber stamp of yes that we see back in Acts chapter 4. When Jesus' apostles pray to him, reeling from the hostile encounter they've had with the religious authorities, trying to make sense of their mission to share the good news about Jesus when the temple leaders are so against them. In verse 29, they pray, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And... When they prayed, the place in which they were, shaken, uh, they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So the request here is, please give us boldness. 
please keep healing people and showing your power to back up the name of Jesus that we're introducing people to and to the person of Jesus we're introducing people to. And the answer to their prayer was indeed powerful. The place they were in was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they did indeed continue to speak the word of God with boldness. And notice again in this passage, their request wasn't, please God, would you protect us whilst we hide away? It was that God would give them boldness to keep speaking about him, and that he'd then back up their words with his heavenly evidence. Evidence. No. They weren't facing away from the world, hiding their faces, and just hoping to get by. They were facing the world, facing those who needed to be introduced to Jesus, and asking that God would sustain Operation Kingdom Come and would give it success. That God would protect his sent kingdom carriers whilst they went into sometimes hostile territory and give them the words and the power that they needed to set people free from the things that hold them away from God. I don't think it's a coincidence that Father Christmas gave Peter a shield and a sword. So I have three practical observations for you. How do you and I get boldness to speak about Jesus? Three things. Number one, get to know him well ourselves. Speak about Jesus from the assurance of a strong relationship with him. Let's not be undermined by half-lived discipleship, but let's go all in, go after that relationship with God that we're invited into, and know who we're talking about. And if not, then why are we inviting anyone else? Get to know him well. Number two, recognize that this relationship is good news for those who we're introducing to Jesus. If we have a relationship of our own with Jesus, if we're not just recruiting for a club because we've been told that we should, then we'll want our friends and family to know the same brilliant experience of meeting God that we've had and the relationship that comes with it. That confidence of, I'm not trying to persuade people to give something away, I'm trying to offer them a gift. That confidence will give us a boldness as we introduce people to Jesus, if we believe it. And thirdly, the third thing we can do to get boldness, get to know him well ourselves, recognize that this relationship is good for those we're introducing to Jesus, ask him. The example that the first church has given us in this passage is to ask God for boldness to carry out the mission that he's entrusted us with. Who knows? He might send you boldness, his presence, and a mini earthquake as a treat. The Gentiles in Pisidian Antioch, in Acts chapter 13, verse 48, they were ecstatic that God would be interested in them. And I expect that there are a good many people in our lives who, if they truly realized what God was like, that he was their long-lost loving father, and that he was really interested in them, would be just as deeply delighted. I want to encourage you, my friends, that introducing people to Jesus will mean that you get to see them come alive with a joy that they never knew, with the spark of God's life setting them alight in a way that will delight them and delight you like nothing else on earth. Yes, there are those who will reject the invitation. 
I once got a brilliant wedding invite that gave four RSVP options. It said, we are delighted to accept, we regretfully decline. We regretfully accept, we are delighted to decline. <laughs> it was so tempting. <laughs> I'm just gonna leave that up there for five minutes. There are some who will say, no thanks. And some might not even say thanks. There were those who resisted God's message and the chance to be introduced to him. There will be those who continue to resist the invitation, but the offer is too good to withhold just because some will decline it. Paul and Barnabas did not get a completely warm welcome. They were chased out of Pisidian Antioch, and then later chased out of Iconium. But chapter 13, verse 49, tells us that the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. And in verse 52, the disciples, that's the new Christians that had become Christians at Pisidian Antioch, the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 14, verse 1, we read that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Yes, not everything went perfectly for the plan of introducing people to Jesus, but the invitation was spreading. And many people accepted it. And even just one glorious yes is worth a heck of a lot of no's. Turn to God. He is so close you could reach out and touch him. I believe that God wants the people in East Fife to know him. I believe that he wants the people in your life to know him. And the Lord prefers your voice to your friends and family, even over a booming voice and a glittering hand in the sky. So, I invite you to the, to the adventure of inviting your loved ones into the relationship that they were made for. Can I invite you to stand? I would love to pray for you. I don't think that the Lord wants you to leave today with a sense of guilt, and certainly I don't. But I do think that he wants us to be discomforted with the challenge. So I'd love to pray over us that, Lord, you would come, that you would come and fill this place, this building, the kingdom vineyard as a whole, that right now you would come and fill our hearts. We lovingly invite you. We delight in your presence, Lord God. And Lord, not but, but and, would you stir us up to carry your kingdom, to carry your presence to those who haven't met you yet? Would you lovingly nudge us into situations where we can invite people 
take a chance on meeting you? And would you bless us with the discomfort that would lead us to invite someone to get to know you? Would you use us, Lord? Take us all in.